Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to episode four of Conversations That Don't Suck. We have a really special human being on today. His name is Lucas Mack, and Lucas and I actually um, got connected over Instagram. The world is so weird, you guys. I can't believe this is like how people get connected now, but it's true story. Um, so Lucas had on one of my mentors um, on his podcast and uh, I listened to that episode and got curious about who Lucas was and reached out to him on Instagram and I sent him like a video on Instagram just saying hi and introducing myself and um, yeah, and that's how we got connected and, and I was a guest on his podcast a while back. So he and I have stayed connected and I really am such a huge fan of what Lucas is doing and he does a lot of men's work and really a lot of uh, healing work with men who have concealed trauma and one thing on that note that I will say about this episode, I will send out a trigger warning, there is talk of uh, child abuse in this episode and so if that is triggering for you, doesn't, doesn't feel good and safe for you to listen to, then this is not your episode and you can check back next week or listen to one of the other episodes on the podcast. Um, but yeah, just a warning that that is something that gets discussed and something that is in that is part of Lucas's story and um, uh, something that he's created a lot of beauty out of um, based on the way that he's been able to heal through those experiences uh, from those experiences so I'm really grateful to know Lucas and to have him on the podcast and he really walks his talk in terms of vulnerability and in terms of the way that he shows up in the world to support other people and heal other people so we get into a lot of good stuff on this episode, and uh, one of the things that we dive into for a while is about uh, some dynamics between feminine and masculine energies, which is something that's actually a really big part of my personal world, but not a huge thing that I touch on a lot uh, in my work. Maybe it was when I was more doing like coaching work, um, but now that I've sort of taken more of a deeper dive into public speaking and I'm talking more about loneliness and connection and all those things. Um, yeah, feminine and masculine dynamics energetically are a really huge piece of, of passion and think ways that I like to look at the world. Um, and so it's kind of a fun thing that we get to, to discuss and a little piece of myself that I get to share in this episode and something that Lucas also brings a lot of beautiful insight into. So that is enough for now. I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, if it feels good to you to leave a rating and a review and a subscribe on iTunes, then that helps me. It helps others to find out about this podcast and to find out about ways to have better conversations in their lives. So I love you so much. Thank you for listening and enjoy the episode with Lucas. We live in a world that is starved for more authentic connection. Better conversations are our first step in getting there. Welcome to Conversations That Don't Suck. I'm your host, Kyla Sokol Ward, and I'm here to engage you in truth-telling discussions about the super deep, always beautiful, sometimes ugly, and wholly honest parts of being a human. Real connection and empathic communication can feel easy and should be a part of our everyday lives. Most of our conversations suck. These ones don't. I'm so happy that we get to connect today and tell me what's been, what's been the theme of your day so far? You know, today specifically has been recovery. I have for the past two weeks, like truly been sick on Sunday. I only got out of bed for like 90 minutes, um, mm -hmm. high fever. And so today I was like, all right, I feel it going through my body and I'm just recovering. And, um, it's been a really nice day. So I, I'm happy and I actually feel healthy. I feel back to myself, which is really nice and perfect timing for this interview. 
Oh, good. Yeah, well, I'm glad that it worked out. And I'm sorry you were sick. That's that's no bueno. But it is a, what a beautiful thing to just like remind us of of being yeah. grateful for health. No, totally. I, I my theme for 2019, I always ask for a word and, and I get a word. And the word that I got going into 2019 was the word receive. And it was interesting mm-hmm. that as I was sick for the past two weeks and I was thinking about Oh, what am I receiving through this? And really it was like, I was receiving a reset. Like it's been such a busy and mind blowing year for me. And it's nice. I feel like going into the holidays and just a reset. I get to receive rest, which has been nice. Ooh, receiving rest. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I yes. love that. Beautiful. Well, will you tell everyone listening a little bit about you? And I already know about you. And I actually have so many things that I want to ask you about since we last spoke, which feels like really lifetimes ago at this point. Um, But for for people who are not um, who are not lucky enough to know about you already, will you please tell everyone at home what we need to know about Lucas Mack? Well, I'm a person that really loves people. And um, I've been on quite a journey in my life. I grew up in an incredibly abusive home and not just abusive, but so confusing Um, with a really, (laughs) to even go into the details, it's pretty wild, but it it left me afraid for my life. I truly thought that I would be killed by, by one of my parents and, and that fear and the confusion and then the public persona and the wanting validation, the wanting love and the wanting to be told I was okay and I was safe led me down this just voracious path of pain, self-pain. And at the age of 20, I attempted suicide Mm. and survived that attempt. And then in the instant, that, that night, I will never forget in the instant, I don't know, somewhere subconsciously and consciously like both. I never looked back. I never looked back a day before that moment. And I changed colleges. I moved out. I changed my whole trajectory of my life. Mm -hmm. And yet I never healed from all the pain. I never even dealt with the fact that I attempted suicide. I mean, it was really just a run as fast as I can, as hard as I can. And I was blessed to be, get married. And um, my wife and I, we have three children, but it was really when I started having kids. And in light of that, I was a TV reporter. I was a, I'm a published author. I started a, a marketing agency that was very successful and I had employees. And while I had employees and, and I was trying to navigate, really trying to get approval from them, <laughs> it was a weird, twisted, unhealthy environment that I was creating. Um, we had, my wife and I had children and that's what brought everything, everything to the light. I couldn't bathe them. I couldn't be around them if they were naked. I could barely change a diaper and my wife being cool and kind and, and sweet. She's like, you know, Hey, I'll take care of it. And I just told her, you know, weird things happen when I was young. And, um, but that trying to avoid it and trying to outrun all that only brought more confusion of what's wrong with me. I always felt like something was wrong with me. Something inside me was broken. Mm -hmm. I wasn't wired right. Everyone else is wired correctly, but I'm broken because of what happened to me as a kid. And, and so in 2016, I hit a breaking point and I had an emotional affair with an employee. 
I told my wife about it. I came clean with everything that I had been struggling with. I was drinking, I was, I was drinking whiskey. I'd get up and I just start drinking in the morning. I mean, and I don't know if I was an alcoholic. I, I was becoming one, I would say. It kind of all kind of culminated at one point, but I started unpacking all of my life and I started having flashbacks. That's really the the catalyst for change. And I realize this is the longest answer to who I am, but I guess it gives the, oh it gosh, gives the greatest so great. uh, context to, to who I am. I started having flashbacks um, at the age of 36. I was first person back in, in the situations as a kid. It was terrifying. It was as terrifying as a 36 year old man with three kids and a million and a half dollar business and employees and married 10 years as it was as a five-year-old kid. And, um, The worst thing was I didn't know what was like real. If I, it was so, it was a weird experience. And so I started going to therapy. It was for the the very first time in my life. I went every week, two years, sometimes twice a week for two years. And it was where I learned what healthy behavior was. And I know this sounds crazy. I mean, I could give you a dissertation on my political view, my religious view, my, you know, my business view and capitalism. And I mean, I could give you all these articulations of things that were really masks and shields to get to the core of me, but to really know, wait, what's, what is healthy? In fact, what is even this concept of health? What is this thing that I'm struggling with? And um, I started on this path, this journey of healing. And I've always loved people. I've always wanted to not hurt people. And I don't want to see people but unfortunately, because I was hurt and I had not dealt with my pain, I had hurt a lot of people, including my wife. Yeah. And so thankfully she walked alongside with me and we've been on this journey together. It's been really beautiful, but I'm on a mission to give you an answer to your question. I am on a mission to see the hurting in this world become healed and the healed go out and heal others. And our society right now is coming to a crossroads and it is, will the old labels and clubs and societies that we hold on to be it political? You know, I'm a Democrat, I'm a a Republican, I'm a liberal, I'm a conservative, I'm a vegetarian, I'm a vegan, I'm a meat eater, I'm a hunter, (laughs) I'm a whatever, I'm a woman, I'm a man, I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm I'm Jewish, I'm not, you know, whatever, these titles are, they're all kind of, I, I see them all losing their, their allure and people are starting to come to this disenfranchisement. And the beautiful thing about it is realizing, whoa, we're all just people. And there's so much pain that we've been avoiding facing. The scary thing, or perhaps sad thing is there's not very many messages of healing for people that aren't trying to associate or attach another label, join our religion, join our club, join our, you know, like we'll take care of you. But so I'm, I'm excited for what's happening in society. Although it seems a little turbulent, I am hopeful that it's going to be the catalyst for other people to wake up and heal. Oof. Wow. Yeah. So, so much there. So beautiful. Um, and I'm <laughs> just like, where should we start? Oh my goodness. Just like every time I hear your story, which I think like hearing the most recent recap of it before this interview was watching your TEDx talk, which has mm-hmm. over a hundred thousand oh, yeah. views. Amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I like checked it out again today and I was like a hundred thousand views. Holy <laughs> shit. Like so deserved. Amazing. So important. Amazing. Um, so everyone can go look at, look at the TEDx mm, talk. Thanks. 
Um, but every time I hear about your message and about your story, just one of the main things that comes to mind is like this idea of trauma and then trauma with a capital T. There's like trauma with a capital T, which is maybe closer to what you experienced and, you know, experiencing abuse, experiencing like not having our most basic needs yeah. met as, as children, as adults, whatever. Um, and then there's the trauma that like everybody goes through when you don't have abusive experiences yes. and um, just so much hurt that we're all experiencing. Even if that was like your parents just hugged you only nine yes. out of 10 times and you needed 10 out of 10 times to be hugged. And, right. and just like this deep aching hurt that we're all carrying around and that so many people are so largely unaware of. And I'm curious how in your work or just in your world, how your experiences and what you now know, having confronted those things, how that changes your conversations with people, how you relate to people, that type yeah, of thing. I really feel missional about answering this question because when we compare our stories, it only robs us of our own freedom. So yeah, I had an incredibly traumatic experience and someone may not have, but that does not negate their level of pain and everyone's pain. It doesn't matter what caused it. If you weren't hugged enough, if you were never told that you were loved or when you were told you were loved, but it was upon condition and your soul knew this is not, this is not real love. Like if I have to continue to perform, where's real love? That, that pain is uniquely equal to your freedom. And so when we compare our stories, we're only robbing ourselves. And so what I, when I lead like men's retreats and when I speak, I honor every person's pain as uniquely profound to who they are. And Um, One of my really good friends, he's a medically retired Navy SEAL and he served as a Navy SEAL for 10 years. And he told me something that really summed up the answer to this question. And he said, if you think of people's pain as a wave and everyone stands on the seashore, the waves hit everyone equally. They're all the same. The waves, Mm -hmm. my wave might've been caused by a 200 pound, 220 pound man and someone else's wave might have been caused by a 120-pound woman, but the wave's still the same. It doesn't matter who caused it. It didn't matter what the, the cause of that wave was. The wave still hit us. So everyone has pain. And I, I, I really like how you said that, the capital T versus the lowercase t. And something unique, and I understand it from going through it. I don't know if I fully yet understand the why around it, but really our human nature doesn't want to admit that we've had trauma. There's something in us that just doesn't want to finally stop and say, yeah, that was traumatic. And in that lack of stopping and admitting it, it's exhausting. And so you find people taking so many different additives in their life, be it drinking more coffee. I was drinking sometimes two pots, two pots of coffee a day and and joking around like, you know, coffee's for closers and just hustling. But my adrenals were failing. I collapsed and went to the hospital in an ambulance. Like I was so unhealthy, but I was using all these extra things to maintain. And I really look at that's what society's doing right now is if we stripped away all those things, we'd really see ourselves who we are and and we're just people that are hurt and need healing 
And the only way to heal is to face the pain. Yeah, yeah. And one of the challenging, I mean, obviously there are so many challenging parts about facing our pain, but just living in such an individualistic society and living in this world where like, you know, we're supposed to be self-made and self-created and our success is is self-created and all of that. And we're not given the tools of like being supported and that asking for help and receiving help are things that we're not taught to do. I certainly don't feel that I was taught that by the world. And um, it's it's definitely like a huge challenge. I think very recently it's felt more confronting than ever. And what are your thoughts on like, you know, how do we move ourselves into that place of feeling comfortable with asking for help, with receiving help, with feeling like we deserve help when we're like, ah, you know, my life isn't that bad. Who am I to ask for help in these things? Who am I to feel victimized? Whatever. Yeah. yeah like what's that, what's that timeline look like? Well, it's, I, my wife and I went to this I think it's the only time we've done it a retreat together. We went to this this retreat a couple months ago and I experienced one of the most profound lessons that answers this this very question and, and it really blew me away. So even in my company, I, I and I've always talked about Gary Chapman's The Five Love Languages because I thought, well, that's really knowing like mm-hmm. our different styles. <clears throat> but my love language was words of, and I say was, um, was words of affirmation. And at this retreat, my wife said, you know, I don't have enough words for you. Like you continually need more words and I don't have enough words for you. I should just be enough for you. And it was a real, real moment where we're looking at each other and having a real conversation. And it struck me like a, a lightning bolt. And it was this growing up, I was afraid that those closest to me would kill me. That, that, was a, that is a real, real fear that I carried. And, and I realized that, and I talked about, I mean, I have a nonprofit called Vulnerable Heroes and I help men be vulnerable, but I realized I had been vulnerable 99.99%. But that last veil of wall that I have kept up to protect myself had caused rejection in my wife because she felt like she can never satiate and and truly none of us can ever satiate our egos. I mean, each other's egos. I can't satiate yours. You can't satiate mine. And so I realized that the greatest act of love that I could give her was to receive her love. That was the greatest Mm. act of love I could show my wife was to receive her love as enough. We are afraid to receive because at some point we've been hurt by those closest to us. And in that lack of being willing to truly drop our walls, even to the place of I could die, but I'll still receive, it creates rejection in people that we're with, that we're in relationship with. And rejection always leads to resentment. And resentment always leads to separation and isolation. We have a a lack of learning how to receive because all we've been told is you've been hurt, so you got to take. And that's why when I talk about vulnerable heroes, it's really code language because vulnerability is receiving and being a hero is protecting. And I say that women just purely on the genetic level, I'm not even talking about gender roles or any of that, just on a genetic level, the double X chromosome The double X chromosome, an X can receive on every side. And I think women, because they're so nurturing, I mean, not every woman, I don't want to get into the the generalities, but typically like the female has more nurturing energy. And 
Yeah. That is because we, they can receive love a lot more uh, easily than a man who has an X chromosome and a Y chromosome. And I teach men that that Y chromosome is a unique gift, but the gift is not to stand apart and say, you know, look at me, I'm a man or whatever the bravado is. The unique gift is that Y can only receive when it's in balance, when it has the feminine and masculine energy in alignment. And so I look at that Y chromosome as a responsibility and a gift to protect humanity's ability to receive love. And when that Y is out of balance, everything comes out of balance. And that's why mm-hmm. women gender, that's when gender roles get, I don't even know if this is, I'm not sure if I'm saying exactly, I don't want to go down to the gender narrative. I'm just, we're out of balance in society because we have, we've been hurt. And so I'm teaching men, your greatest responsibility is to protect and make people feel as safe as possible. The strongest man in the room should be seen as the safest man in the room. That's what I'm helping men specifically understand when it comes to receiving love. Wow. Oh my gosh. I'm like sitting here as you're speaking and just like closing my eyes and taking deep breaths and just like, um, like I'm sitting here just receiving everything you're saying. Mm. Um, wow. There's, there's so much juice in there. I love this, that the vulnerability is receiving and I've never thought of it that way of just like how vulnerable it is to receive love and to accept love and, um, just how much bullshit. I mean, well, it's, it's like, you know, it's not bullshit. It's protective. And we're, you know, we're defensive for the reasons that our brains and bodies have told us we Mm -hmm. need to be defensive. Um, but you know, these blockages that we put up to receiving love and to receiving support from people. And I'm like raising my hand right now as like, hell Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I have done this. I do do this. And, and this, I think gives a really beautiful segue into the work that you've done with men's retreats and men's work in general. And I know it can be like tricky to have these types of conversations around around gender, um, but I think there's so much value in it. And one of the things I've heard a lot of men in my life, like my peers say, is like they want to have more of these conversations around men's roles in society and around the Me Too movement and feminism and all this. And like they want to have these conversations, but they're scared and they don't know how to have them. And they don't want to have someone. And I think like being able to create those spaces where we can say, you're going to mess up. You're going to offend someone. You're going to say the wrong thing. Yeah. Like, and that's okay, but we have to have these conversations. Yes. We have to. Yes. And, and like even me hedging around, like, Oh, I don't want to get into gender. I don't want to offend anyone. Cause I don't want to hurt someone. However, right. we need to talk and we need to speak in love and we need to speak in humility in that there's so many times where I've learned something new and I'm like, wow, I just, I just didn't know. I didn't know. And for, for a long time, even, um, even, I don't know, like white privilege and even that concept, I was like, what, what is that? That, that it's just like a foreign paradigm that I had no concept because I am a white male. And Mm -hmm. then when I truly understood that I, I boil it down to this, I just don't know what everyone goes through. Therefore, be kind and humble and compassionate to everyone. That, that that really is how I teach my children. That's how I teach like these men at the men's retreats is it's the person that says, I know that 
can really get in a lot of trouble because all we know is what we experience and our experience is only limited to what we experience. So we have not yet experienced all things. We have not experienced another person's experience. Therefore, we cannot say, I know we can just say my experience is what I, what I'm passionate about is instead of seeing another movement of victims gaining their voices, I am passionate about seeing humanity gain their voice and no longer indict the perpetrator, but be an invitation for the perpetrators to heal. I mean, the Me Too Mm. movement and hear me and whoever's listening and, and truly I would have this conversation every time. I'm so thankful that victims got their voices. I understand the fear of not being able to speak. I understand the fear of being silenced. I understand the fear. I understand it in the very DNA of my existence. And unless we heal, hurt people will always hurt people. So my question is for us that hurt, what is the solution that we are proposing to apply to all perpetrators? Do we kill them? Do we lock them up? Do we shame them? Do we, and what if the perpetrator for all people that are hurting other people were hurt once themselves? What if that person deep down just doesn't know the way out? Who's strong enough to be an invitation for them to step out and say, come, I'll heal with you. I'll kneel with you. I'll cry with you. I will, I will walk with you until if you want to heal, I'll stand with you. And so what I want to see is a movement where victims and perpetrators heal. And not every perpetrator is going to want to heal and that's, that's on them. But I don't want to throw stones anymore because that stone is not necessary for the person that truly just is trying to find their way out. And so I want to see a movement of healing. That's what I mean. And, um, you know, being shamed and living in shame is, is self-imposed solitary confinement. And that's the worst sentence we can impose on the hardness criminal in this country outside of the death penalty. And yet when we shame people and keep them in silence, we're doing the exact same thing to them, only perhaps worse because they're free to walk around or it looks free, but they're, they're in a solitary confinement prison inside their own mind. And that's why the suicide, the suicide rates higher in the United States than it's ever been. 79% of all suicides in the United States are men. Eight out of 10 suicides are men. So then Mm. the question is the results of our narrative are leading to our, our current circumstance. And so I'm asking men and women to change the narrative of indicting to healing, to change the narrative of attacking, but being an invitation to say, I'm stepping out of the shadows as a victim And I'll stand with anyone that wants to step out of the shadows as a perpetrator. And if it's done in honesty and if it's done in humility, that is the most beautiful way of being we could all ever, I think, wish for. Mm, Yeah. Wow. Of moving from, from indictment to healing. That's, um, yeah, I mean, on the one hand, it's intense. It's totally intense. And like, on the one hand, it's like, you know, we look at, these women are, I mean, it's not even, you know, it's not just the Me Too movement. There are so many, so many ways to be a perpetrator, to be a victim, whatever. Um, And it's on the one hand, it's like, you know, how dare we ask anyone to heal? It's, I mean, it's like a bit audacious, you know, like Mm -hmm. how dare we ask anyone to heal if they just want to be a victim because they've been a freaking victim. It's like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
like how do we ask them to even like confront that pain when like they're just living Mm -hmm. inside of it but yeah it's like how else are we going to move forward i think there's so much power and so much healing in stepping up and saying me too and saying hey i've dealt with xyz here's my shame i'm going to put it on the table for everybody there's so much healing in that and like how do we move forward together and like not having to do this healing work all by ourselves that's right and, and the reality is i mean we could say well i can't say to heal but then the reality is that hurt people regardless of intent hurt people yeah either they hurt themselves and they internalize and they they do, you know, self harm to their bodies or it comes out externally, but hurt people hurt people. That's, that is a simple principle by which we can say, okay, well, unless we heal, we'll hurt. And if we hurt, we'll hurt. <laughs> um, and uh, that's what I'm excited. Vulnerable heroes were in 2020, we're going to have these live events in different cities across America where we're going to rent out these theaters Um Balboa Theater in San Diego um, nice. and some different theaters. Yeah, Seattle, Dallas, Atlanta. And then we're going to have really cool speakers and musicians that people will know going to attend. And at the end, we're going to give the invitation. You need to be hugged. You need to be held. You need to cry. We will cry with you. If you just need to cry, if you need to be told that you're beautiful, if you are a perpetrator and you know you've caused pain and that guilt and that shame and that secret that you think you're taking to the grave has eaten at your soul since the moment it happened to you, if you're wanting to come out of the shadows, we will stand with you in the light. And this is, I think, the time where true transformation, true putting action where our words are, um, takes place is where we will hold someone. I, I truly know because people just want to be held. They just want to be, they want, we just want to be loved and affirmed. We want to be told that we're okay, that it's going to be okay, that everything's going to be okay, that we're not a waste. Yeah. I'm curious how this has changed the way that you show up in vulnerability in your life, um, in, in your personal relationships, even in just like maybe the more mundane parts of your life, like how this has changed the way that you show up with people, the way that you see strangers, anything like that. I think like, there are so many ways that our experiences that are, are negative and challenging experiences have a way to really positively impact the empathy and compassion we're able to give to others. And oftentimes, does the opposite when, when we're not healed. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm curious how that's been a reflection. It has made me so compassionate before, before the flashbacks, when I was saying earlier that I could give you a dissertation on my political views, my religious views, my monetary views. I mean, I was like a verbal assassin and I learned a lot to prove my own validity and my own self-worth. And I became really good at articulating that. So I, and I use it as a weapon and all that was, was just a hurt person just trying to hold on to any appendage of a cave that I was falling deeper and deeper into a pit. And so when I realized, when I look back, I'm like, wow, I hurt a lot of people. Um, even those close to me and my own wife, I realized, wow, even though I never wanted to hurt anyone. I never set out to hurt anyone. I don't want to see people hurt. By default, I hurt a lot of people and try not to hurt people and prove my own self-worth. So it has made me incredibly compassionate. If we don't have compassion to say, 
if I grew up in their shoes, would I be any different than they acted? I can't, I don't think there's a human on planet earth that can say that. And if we can't say that about another person, then all we are left with is either judging him or having compassion for him. And I think that's what great leaders, I think that's what Nelson Mandela, who was thrown in prison and, and wrongfully convicted, goes to prison and then comes out and looks at those politicians whom were all white and had done egregious evils to the black community in South Africa and said, look, it's time to heal. And he brought this country together. I mean, there's so many beautiful, beautiful, beautiful stories of people that I think when they get the, if I was born white, in his view, if I was born white in that home with that view, would I think any different of myself? Probably not. And if he was born in my shoes, would he think any different of you know them? Probably not. It takes a humility. I think it takes a lot of compassion. But that's why I said I'm excited for this movement because people are starting to loosen their grips on all these labels and titles. And we're starting to look at each other like, what's going to happen here? You know, are you safe? Am I safe? Are we going to band together? Are we going to lock arms or what's the alternative? Yeah. Just changing the way that we relate to one another in terms of, instead of needing to be right, to prove ourselves, have our ego come to the forefront, to be the person in the room who knows the most about this thing. It's like, can we just, try our hardest and it is so hard can we try our hardest to just understand one another yeah and yeah Yeah. like it is and that's also I think been a, a recent thing in my life that's been a bit more confronting of like when the people who I love the most are doing and saying things that I'm like I can't believe these words are coming out of your mouth and I can't believe that your actions are the way that they are it's like can I just sit there and try to understand them instead of trying to tell them that they're wrong or prove how they should have done something differently, whatever. And it's, it's a freaking practice. It takes so much really humility, as you said. Yeah. And also I want, I mean, you or anyone and have, take it from me, just like, Hey, I'm giving you permission. I want people to have the permission to not allow any form of relational title to be guilted over our heads in lieu of our personal freedom. If someone is not healthy for us, they do not belong in our space. It doesn't matter what genetic similarities they have to us, what, what blood relation they have to us. If people are not healthy, it, I mean, it would, it would be crazy to um, be in the room willingly with someone with influenza it's the same with someone who's just emotionally not well and putting ourselves in the same place. We're going to get the effects of that. And I always tell people we are the environment we, we become or we result in the environment that we stay in. So like, if you go to a Starbucks, you smell like Starbucks when you leave. And that's just simply because you were in that environment. So especially in like the communities that we come from, there's so much guilt around like, well, I have to, if there's any happy, that's not freedom. And, and where there's a lack of freedom, it, that's, again, self-imposed prison. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And then why do people have any incentive to change? If they get, to, if, if abusive people or unhealthy people, let's just say unhealthy people continue to get their way, no change will ever take place. 
certainly in not us and certainly not in them. And our job is not to change them. Our job is to protect ourselves to be the healthiest version of ourselves so that we can be the healthiest version of ourselves for other people. Yeah. I just want to give you permission. I want to give everyone permission because I, I have practiced that in my life and it's not the norm, but it doesn't matter someone's title if they're not healthy. Well, I'm, I'm curious moving on, like how, like talking about vulnerability and talking about authenticity and all these things, like these buzzwords right now. And like, God bless right. Brene Brown, who like brought shame and vulnerability into the forefront of our yes. world. I'm, I'm curious, like what this looks like for you in terms of social media and I think it's a funny thing that gets talked about a lot now is like the the need like there's almost sounds like there's uh, what's the word obligation isn't quite the right word but obligation to be authentic on social media that like it's bad if we're yeah. only showing our highlight reels and I I don't know how I feel about that I mean like there's you know I don't know that anyone's obligated to show up any certain way on social media but I'm curious what, what yeah. that's felt like for you um, if there have been times when you've done or said something in your personal life or like on social media and you're like, oh, you know what? I think that actually was an overshare or like shame just really wrapped you up in something you said or did. Like what has that looked like for you as you've learned more about yourself? That That's a good question. I've just um, got off a call earlier today. We were talking about social media and posts and then I ended up posting one. I was talking about the depth of pain and I posted this thing today about the phoenix can't rise without first dying in the fire. And everyone likes the rising part, but no one really wants to talk about fire. And uh, there's an old adage, everyone wants to go to heaven, but no one wants to die to get there. (laughs) And I, I find that social media is, it can be useful in a few ways. First of all, it gives hope. I think it gives, it, it can give hope to people. And um, Solomon wrote, hope deferred makes the heart sick. So when people don't have hope, that's when they become depressed. And so it has the opportunity to give hope, like, hey, you can do it. So inspirational quotes are really cool. However, the look at me narrative, the photos, the materialism, the perfectionism that social media allows also can be as detrimental because the people that are in pain, like I said, the suicide rate's never been higher ever, ever in history. Than it is right now. That means that just because things look good on social media, we know the reality is they're right. not. A lack of acknowledging that I think makes people feel more isolated, more alone. And so for me, you know, I've heard people talk about like the vulnerability hangover. Um, when I got on that TED stage, pretty much everything I didn't care anymore. I wanted people to be free, and I wanted to break that cycle. And and truly, I thought I was going to be killed. Um, I really, I really was afraid for my life leading up to that talk. And so for me personally, the vulnerability hangover hasn't really been a thing. However, my wife who just posted something recently is really powerful talking about being a mother and, and the mirror that she's projected on our oldest daughter and how she's learned not to, and just the growth and the beauty of that. She felt at first, like maybe that was a little bit too much of a share. And yet the response has been amazing. People are texting me like, thank you so much for being honest. That's helped me. And obviously in a lot of those posts are not, or the, a lot of those responses are not in the comment wall, you know, <laughs> they're, they're text messages. They're not even like DMS through Instagram. I think social media, regardless of, and I was talking to another guy who's trying to build his following, let go of the results, just put great content yeah. out there. And if it's vulnerable, 
may be vulnerable. And if it scares you, perhaps that's where you have to go to liberate yourself. If we're so caught up in the results, we'll never be free. If we're worrying about what people think of us, we're never going to be free. If we're concerned about others' judgment, we'll never be free. And I really believe freedom is receiving love that is available to us from the universe, from God, as oxygen is available to our lungs. So love is available for our hearts and our souls. And I'm not worried about the oxygen. Therefore, I shall not worry about the love. My job is to reject the fear that inhibits me from receiving that love. And what I teach at the men's retreats, not one human being on planet earth opens a closet door and braces for darkness to come out of that closet. Every human being knows you open that door, light goes in, darkness goes away. Because darkness is not a counterforce to light. Darkness exists in the absence of light. Just as fear is not a counterforce to love, fear exists in the absence of love. So where there's fear, that's just an indication that we need to receive more love in that place. So what I teach men is we have a mantra is I reject fear, I receive love. I reject fear, I receive love. And wherever we feel fear is I reject it. I receive love and I go forth and I go into those places that I was unwilling to go because fear kept its hold, but there's really no power in the fear. It's just, whoa, there hasn't been love. There's no power in the darkness. There's just no light yet entering that. And so to answer your question about social media, if people feel afraid to be vulnerable, I say, let it rip, but, but reject the fear at the same time. Like it's okay. Let go of the results, reject the fear and receive love. And it's simple as just saying like people are like the analytical minds out there probably like, how do you receive love? Like, how do you do it? Simply by saying, I reject fear. I receive love. Mm. I receive it. I receive it. I receive love. Like anyone listening right now, receive love. It is banging at the door of your heart every second every second and you get to receive it (laughs) and you get to receive that love and reject the fear that keeps you from that love. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much fear that goes into, I mean, whatever social media and the rest of our lives, there's so much fear that goes into being vulnerable and sharing who we are. And I feel like every time I'm talking to people about vulnerability, about connection like even just using this word connection it's really interesting how many people have such aversion to it of like well you know i i can't connect authentically with people i can't be my authentic self because uh you know i'm going to get rejected or there's going to be this consequence and this consequence and we're just so focused on on what we might lose and so rarely focused on like who might i help by being who i am yeah that's right that's so good mm-hmm. yes and and what's the point are we doing it and this is where we really get to look inside of ourselves of, do we still have our ego up? Because like I said, the words of affirmation that I needed from my wife was really my inability or unwillingness to drop that last veil of ego. Mm. Once I dropped it, yeah, it scared me literally to death, but I received, I mean, hard relationship. I've never had a better relationship when we've been married um, almost 14 years since that understanding. And so I would say to those that are posting or being authentic or are, are testing it out. Why are you doing this? Do you want to be seen and validated? 
Well, if you want to be seen and validated, social media is probably not the place for you. <laughs> Going to therapy or being in a community or coming to a retreat or having a personal coach is the place yeah. for you. But if you want to make an impact, yes, social media can be a great place to let go of the results and the numbers and the comments and whatever, but just trust that whoever is supposed to see it, sees it, and whoever it's supposed to land with, it lands with. Today I had a woman, I was um, having like a coffee date with her and she said, oh, this thing you posted on social media like two months ago about your struggle, your former struggle with body image, it just resonated with me so much. I'm so grateful mm -hmm. you posted that. And I'm like, yeah, it's those moments where it's not the 500 people commenting on the photo. It's one person saying like that impacted me. And like that's what matters is yes. having one person say, I can relate. Me too. Thank you for, for being who you are and for speaking it out loud. And yes, I've felt that. Yes. That's so good. One thing that really helped frame it up for me is in Hebrew, the word love is ahava, which, and ahava means to give. And so love always gives, always gives the highest good, the highest order, the highest best for us. So if we're really loving people, then we want to give for them regardless of return of ourselves. If we don't operate in that mode of love, the alternative is to operate in the mode of to take is lust. And so I'm doing everything to consume. I'm taking the real fine line is, am I really giving it for others because I love people or am I putting this out to take something to myself that I, that I'm in lack of. And when I work with men at the men's retreats, talking about masculinity has become out of balance and masculinity must be balanced in vulnerability and heroism, but masculinity takes the energy takes it's a, it's a the hunter gatherer. It's the energy of going out and taking and vulnerability is the energy of receiving. And if those aren't in balance, if the vulnerability has been shut off and we don't know how to receive love, but that wound is festering and we're taking, taking, taking to try to satiate our lack of vulnerability, satiate our, our unwillingness to receive, it only leaves a week awake of destruction. So we can post all day long trying to fake ourselves out that we're making an impact, but if we're only posting to try to heal the validation that we haven't received yet, that can be just as dangerous because then there's disillusionment. People become disenfranchised, sometimes become angry. Some people lash out. So it really starts with that place of vulnerability and receiving love like we breathe and then like, okay, I'm loved. And I have a, I have a mantra that I say to myself every morning, every night before I go to Bed. When I wake up, I say um, the Moadani. I say this prayer. Thank you, God, for returning my soul within me with yeah, compassion and loving kindness. I, oh my! I don't even get out of bed until I say that. It's just the such beautiful gratitude of like I don't even take my soul for mm -hmm. granted. And and then I say I'm a loving, kind, and powerful leader. I am safe. I am loved. I am free. I am abundant. I am powerful. I am safe. I am loved. I am free. I'm abundant. I'm powerful. I'm safe. I'm loved. I'm free. I'm abundant. I'm powerful. And I encourage guys that I coach people that I work with to come up with five words to combat the five greatest fears in our life. So my first word is I'm safe. 
because my greatest fear was I was going to be killed. My second greatest fear is I, I'm not worthy of love. And my second word is I am loved. And so these words really are the way to combat that fear. But I encourage every person listening to have your own words that you're not relying even on me or anyone. You can rely on yourself and you've done the work and you've looked at it and like, you know, maybe you weren't held or told you were beautiful or you weren't hugged or you were called horrendous words by your parents or friends or bullies or whatever. And you say, you know, maybe yours, I am beautiful. I am, I am exquisite. I am, I am adorned. I mean, whatever the words are, but you have them for yourself and no one can ever take those away from you. And because no one ever gave them to you, you don't seek validation with those words. Oh, your words. oh my goodness. So beautiful. Yeah. What a beautiful practice, <laughs> a beautiful practice and, um, of giving, giving to ourselves and, Yes. And, and allowing that receiving to come in. Um, what a beautiful practice to, to allow for receiving in every other area of our lives. And I think so much of what you're saying is like creating this space of safety for this receiving to happen. And it's a beautiful yes. thing. It sounds like you're yes. doing with, with your men's retreats and so, so needed when, yeah, men in our world are not taught to be safe and to be defenseless and, um, Right. Yeah, like what an important thing you're bringing to the world. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful to see these men truly, tr- truly transform, like physically look different by the end of the retreat. It's supernatural. I mean, it is so wild. And to hear these men be honest and talk about when they were molested and talk about, and I ask them, like, let's ask the questions that you don't want to ask. Did it feel good? And they're, I mean, you could feel the room like, yeah. whoa. But until we answer these questions, you're always going to have anxiety in those areas because you don't want, and like, I'm safe. Like our bodies have nerve ending. I and mean, we walk through this whole process and just know that you're safe. And then say, did you ask for it? No. Would you ask for it again? No. Okay. So if you didn't ask for it, but it happened to you and your confusion is, you know, what did that mean about you? You can acknowledge, let's answer them right now. Let's put those questions that cause anxiety to rest. And we go through these things. And by the end of these retreats, it is so amazing to see men understand what it means to receive love and all these things that took from them were never love. And um, yeah, it's really beautiful to see the ripple effect of we've had uh, one guy propose and he's getting married with another guy, his wife <laughs> proposed to him wow. um, or repropose, like rededicate. <laughs> Their marriage um, inside the ring it says I receive love They're really beautiful and they have uh, a newborn on the way I mean just beautiful stuff of healing and, and reconciliation when it's based on humility compassion vulnerability and it doesn't it's not altruistic in the it's not lofty rhetoric it's not well oh, that sounds good it's not any of those things that the cynics say you know sounds touchy-feely or right. woo-woo. it's real gritty, honest, powerful, firm truths that people are, are able to stand on and rely on. And uh, it's just beautiful. Oh, amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm all about gritty, honest truth when it comes to healing. Yeah. We don't, you can be woo woo. That's great. I love the woo woo, but you could do it in a dirty, nasty way, you know? <laughs> 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, Amazing. Well, okay, before we wrap up here, I want to ask you a few like last minute lightning round questions here. Um, Awesome. What is something that most people assume about you? Either good, bad, anything in between? Mm, Most people assume that I have not had a painful life. Mm. They look at my family now, they look at uh, my wife and children and they, they think that everything, you know, looks really pretty. Um, they don't see the, the cost of that. Yeah. And it is true. If you all see photos of Lucas's family, it looks like, like an Abercrombie ad. It's just beautiful. <laughs> 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 I mean, I'm so blessed. And our, my kids teach me every, every day now. And, um, and to see my son stand up for himself in the home and like, I never had that opportunity. And you're like, Oh, that's what a little boy looks like to say no. And stuff like that. It's just so beautiful. And I, it's just, it's awesome. So yeah, that's, I guess to answer your question in this lightning round, that's what I think people would assume. Beautiful. Who in your life considers you a role model and why? My first thought was my brother. Hmm. We were raised to be enemies and um, he and I have become inseparable, truly like a soul warrior that we decided our souls decided, hey, we're going to jump in this crazy narrative, but we'll always be together yeah. through it. And, um, and I've been able to, you know, I kind of went through the healing process first and then he went through it, but truly beautiful to watch. So I would say my brother. What's the best question you've ever been asked? <laughs> but maybe this question. <laughs> <laughs> Best question I've ever asked. And if you don't have an answer, that's okay. And you can get back to well, me. Well, I think my daughter, my oldest daughter asked, um, what, what is forgiveness the other day? And, oh. and I was like, man, that's, that's a great, what is forgiveness? And, and I broke it down and, um, Ahava means to give and, so forgive is to love them as if the act never happened. That is forgiveness. And so we talked about what we can forgive someone. We can still love someone, but not be in community with them, not be in relation with them, not be in proximity to them, but you can still love them. And what does forgiveness look like? So that's how I answered it. And, um, Oh, wow. Incredible. Yeah. Children are such amazing teachers and healers. Yes. So special. Beautiful. Well, where can people find you and learn more about the amazing things you're doing for the world? Oh, thanks. Um, you can find me on my website, lucasmack.com. Go, you can on Instagram, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. And then I host two podcasts. Um, one, which Kyla has been on and it was, an amazing episode that podcast is called the golden rule revolution. And then the other podcast is called the vulnerable hero. And that, um, gets into a lot of nitty and gritty around vulnerability and how I define vulnerability. But, um, I'm on a mission and this mission is to see hurting people get healed. So, and usually people that are hurting don't think they're hurting. (laughs) So, um, yeah, exactly. So anyone that, um, just wants to chat. I'm, I'm always open and, and try to respond as quickly as possible. And thank you for having me on sister. It's really, 
you, I feel we've talked about this. I just feel like your family. I feel like talking to you is just like talking to family members. So thank you. And, and I'm honored to be on your show. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. And I'm, I'm just reflecting on the past hour that we've been talking. I'm like, yeah, I'd say we went deep enough. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Let's go there. That's what I say. That's right. Yeah. I don't need to skirt around the surface. It's been so beautiful talking to you and I'm so grateful to have been connected to you through the magic of the internet and through Instagram and hearing other people, my own mentors on your podcast. This is just one of the many beautiful things about technology that we have access to other beautiful humans doing beautiful work and important work. And so I'm, I'm really grateful to, to know you and be connected with you and to have had this conversation with you. And I'm really excited for everyone else to be able to be a part of it. Thank you. Thank you. All right, y'all. There you have it. That is the episode with Lucas. I hope you enjoyed it. Again, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes if that feels good to you. And if you want to hear, find out more uh, information about Lucas, then you can see all of that info in the show notes, um, different ways to be in touch with him, and definitely go watch his TEDx talk. It is beautiful and deserves lots of views. So thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next week.